Okay, my name is Sergio Garcia. No, I'm not Myra Shannon. She unfortunately was not able to come, so I stepped in on her behalf. I'm a regional manager of development uh, for uh, Maritime Americas based in Houston. This is the green shipping ESG investing panel. Uh, it's a strong ESG platform, a competitive advantage from a commercial and capital allocation perspective. 2020 markets somewhat the beginning of a longer journey as the industry sets out to meet the new challenge of decarbonization. This panel is assembled to discuss changing regulatory environment and strategies to make shipping more sustainable from an operating point of view. Environmental, social, and governance issues are an increasingly relevant topic for the industry's stakeholders, and the importance of adapting to new realities will also be viewed in the context of how this may impact commercial opportunities and access to capital, as heard uh, on earlier sessions today. The panel today is consisting of uh, Mr. George Wells, Global Head of Asset Structuring uh, Cargill Ocean Transportation, Mr. Michael Parker, Chairman Global Shipping Logistics and Offshore, City, Mr. Evan Ulick, uh, Head of Ocean Industries North America, DNB, and Mr. Stamatis Santanis, President CEO of Synergy Maritime Holdings. So welcome. I'd like to start uh, with you, uh, George. Uh, just uh, last week, Cargill, Marsk Tankers, and Mitsuiko announced a collaboration agreement to bring cost-effective global greenhouse gases reductions to shipping. Can you elaborate on this partnership and how the group plans to achieve this mission, please? Yes, yeah, certainly. Thank you, Sergio. Um, yeah, this is, I'm very excited by the partnership. It's three big, sort of important players in the, in the maritime um, space, coming from very different areas of maritime. So we're a dry bulk charterer. We don't own any ships. We charter in 600 plus ships at any one time. We have Mitsui, who is obviously a huge global um, Japanese trading house and have touch points in many different areas of maritime. And Merce Tankers, um, who are mainly involved in the product tanker market. Um, they, in particular, have a long experience of working hard to improve the performance of their vessels with. Um, energy-saving devices in the digital space as well. They, for example, have put um, Fletner rotors on an LR as a full working prototype. So they, they bring a lot of experience into this. The purpose of the collaboration is to really prove there is a business case for um, putting on energy-saving devices and improving the overall performance of existing ships on the water. Um, we. It's going to be a three-stage project is the idea. The first stage is really proof of concept, where we'll be looking to install packages of um, solutions on board ships that we actually control. So in Cargill's, um, for Cargill, it'll be ships that we have on long-term charter. We will pay for the, um, the installations for the upgrades and then um, share the, um, looking at how the performance is, is improves. Maersk and Mitsui will be doing the same. Um, the idea is to share the information, share the improvement in performance, to learn, to build a sort of data book, if you like, to show that these things work and to prove the business case. And part of that will be um, working with owners um, because, as I say, we don't own. So we have to work with owners to encourage them to make these changes and to share the data and become a lot more transparent than they are today. Stage two, then, if it works, would be 
a more um, formal joint venture company offering a full service to anybody that wanted it. So if you came with a ship, we'd, we'd audit the ship, um, we'd suggest a package for installation, look at what savings that could make, and potentially even look at financing it. So that would be a full service offering, is the stage two. And stage three would then be to reinvest any the profits that come out from this collaboration into um, investigating more forward future technologies to further improve um, the performance of ships on the water today. Interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, switching to you, Michael, um, it's prudent uh, with this topic that we touch base on Poseidon principles, especially with the two uh, of the architects and founding members uh, present on the panel. Can you please briefly explain the underlying ideas that guide the Poseidon principles and why they are necessary for the future of the maritime shipping industry? Um, <clears throat> thank you, Sergio. I think I should say probably three, although George, uh, being a ship owner and a charterer, is not a signatory, and that was because in the end we split forces between the banks and, and the owners, if you like. Uh, Cargill was a very active member of our drafting committee, and I think the point there is this was not just the banks. It ended up being the banks. The, uh, the charterers played an important role, and owners, and, and Hugo de Stoop, particularly also from an owning side, was a very active member of the drafting committee. And the point really about that is we wanted to come up with something that lenders and borrowers, if you like, align around. So it's very important that Poseidon principles are not seen as the lenders to the industry in any sense being hostile to our clients. Absolutely not. We want to do this in partnership. As I mentioned earlier downstairs, this originated from the G20 Financial Stability Board work by Mark Carney and Michael Bloomberg on the Task Force for Climate Finance Disclosure. And I think that was us as shipping lenders getting ahead of the curve, frankly, because we also felt some sort of responsibility as banks to the industry. Shipping is, I hate to use the word unique, but I think it is unique in the banks being the primary capital providers to this industry. And uh, all of us have experienced some degree of stress in the last 10 years, but neither DNB nor City has blown itself up, unlike many of our former competitors or indeed recovered competitors. And so to some extent, what we're trying to do, I think, as lenders is to recognize the responsibility implicitly we may have had for creating some of the problems in the past, but also showing some leadership around how we can take the role we play as primary capital providers for the industry to what is clearly an important agenda for the future. And two key reasons. One is shipping being excluded from the national targets in the Paris Climate Agreement is treated globally. It is a global industry. How we finance it is consistent, broadly speaking, globally around the world. So in that sense, we can support a global regulator, which no other industry has. And so aligning ourselves with the IMO and their decision in April 18 to set this 50% cut in GHG emissions from 2008 gives us something to manage our portfolios to. What I would say though, and, and then, I'll, then I'll stop, is <clears throat> the regulators are now looking at the Poseidon principles as a model for other industries, i.e. Banking regulators now want to put climate change at the forefront of the business decisions, not auditing us three years after the event of the business we did, 
but regulating us, if you like, and reviewing our business decisions as we make them today. And so I think that is the important change that is going on today. And the UN Climate Action Summit a few weeks ago you know, clearly gave evidence of companies and industry coming together on many things. So what we are doing as a group of banks is working hand in hand with our clients, is signaling you know, the target of decarbonizing the shipping industry <coughs> because it is needed by the world. It is needed if global trade is to continue. If you believe in trade taking people out of poverty, the shipping industry has a key role to play. And I think the other thing that I will stop is this truly is the shipping industry's renaissance. The way the shipping industry responds to this in partnership with people like George, the cargo owners, is actually going to lead to a very different and thriving industry as this transition takes place. <coughs> Thank you. Ivan, would you like to compliment on that, on your views uh, on the Poseidon principles and how do you uh, think this will impact shipping industry speeding its compliance with decarbonization goals? Sure, and, and I actually must take my hat off to, uh, to Michael and City here because uh, they provided so much of the thought leadership uh, around uh, the Poseidon principles. I, I look at it in a very basic uh, way, which is you, you have to start with a baseline. You have to understand uh, the baseline emissions of all of the vessels within uh, you know, the dozen or so participants or signatories to the Poseidon Principles as a baseline of measurement around admissions for you to be able in any sensible way to be able to understand how to reduce emissions over time. Uh, so for me, it, it's just a very pragmatic and very thoughtful way of understanding the totality of the industry's uh, emissions as a way to find a pathway towards decarbonization. Uh, and make no mistake here of what the ultimate goal is. Uh, I think the ultimate goal, just <coughs> to, to, to make the obvious statement, is to reduce the overall carbon footprint of the industry, which all industries that are responsible to humanity and this planet need to embrace and do. And I, I think, you know, aviation is no different. You know, packaging is, is no different. All of these industries need to um, <laughs> come out of the shadows uh, and embrace the, the carbon footprint as a means to create uh, a better planet for our future. Um, the second part of your question was, was how will this kind of impact the, the industry speeding towards compliance? Again, you know, I offer it as one way to truly understand the baseline of emissions, um, but these are all incremental steps over time. If, if you read uh, Cargill's uh, 2018 sustainability report, they have a number of things that they uh, highlight as actions that can be taken right now, uh, and then they have kind of a separate session on next steps. And, and I think the actions right now are very much uh, around the margins uh, and very indicative of, um, I think we're in the early innings of uh, this decarbonization drive. But if you look at what Carwell says as their next steps, it's really around finding new technologies and new vessel designs that allow for uh, the shipping industry truly to be uh, carbon uh, neutral or, or carbon at a, at a net zero level. And I think that's where ultimately my hope is the Poseidon principles take us is establishing a baseline for a healthier, more decarbonized fleet in the future. Thank you. 
to Stamatis. Uh, Synergy has a close cooperation with Cargill in the context of environmental regulations. Can you describe to us uh, the nature of this cooperation and its benefits uh, for both parties, please? Yes, thank you. Um, before I answer your question, Sergio, I would like to say that uh, Synergy was actually a pioneer um, in that field. We were the first uh, Greek company to participate in the American Bureau of Shipping's uh, feasibility study for the scrubbers back in, uh, I think, 2015 or 16. So we're very conscious and very sensitive about the overall matter. Um, it's one of the points that we unfortunately don't over-advertise, but we have been extremely practical about it. So what we have actually done with uh, Cargill, and while everybody's waiting for the new ship of tomorrow, which we don't know what kind of uh, shape and size and uh, what kind of, you know, uh, hybrid fuel or whatever that is going to burn. Um, we really believe that the Cargill's initiative to improve the existing fleet's efficiency in the water is like one of the most important things for the industry right now. And <clears throat> for us, um, we participate in the whole process. We're implementing all these ideas we which we co-developed together with Cargill. And I think that uh, now that the ship is finally going to be delivered, our first ship is finally going to be delivered in the next few days um, in China after we have installed the majority of all these energy-saving devices. I think it's going to be a first great step that needs to be followed by other owners as well. But the initiative of Cargill has to be expanded altogether in many more industrial carriers and traders altogether. Because as far as the overall picture is concerned, Cargill is a pioneer. They're very sensitive, but they're very conscious about it. But I don't really feel that the majority of the charters, especially on the dry bulk, are so sensitive in the way of implementing this actual plan into the existing fleet. For example, we have actually gone to a number of our existing clients, and we have offered you know, pretty much similar ideas like the ones that we're doing with Cargill. And basically, we have seen no response. So I don't know what it's going to take to push these parties that are actually going to be co-funding and cooperating and doing all these partnerships in order for them to become socially and environmentally um, responsible. Because they say they are. Um, you know, they put out all these uh, environmental reports and uh, sustainability reports. But at the same time, when you really discuss about implementation and putting things down and designing, you know, what kind of improvements you do on the existing ships, there's no response. And if I may say, 70% of, um, you know, of the global capesized fleet is actually built between 2008 and 2012. So these are the kind of ships that need to be environmentally improved. And yes, Cargill is a great pioneer in the whole matter, and uh, I wish we can do more you know, deals with them in the future. But I think that this needs to be done all over the industry. It's very important. Yeah, agreed. Back to you, George. Uh, very important factor in green shipping is the relationship between charter and ship owner. Can you please describe how you see it working and what are its benefits? Yes, sure. This, for me, is one of the most important reasons why more is not being done today. Um, firm believer that the solutions exist to improve ships, easily between 5 and 10% in terms of efficiency whether you're looking at hardware, so simple things like muesducts, LED lights, other variable control fans and pumps, simple things, better quality paint. Um, and on the digital space as well, so in 
we had a presentation earlier about improving vessel performance and monitoring vessel performance and voyage optimization. There's, there's a lot that can be done today, but it's just not been done. And I think the main reason for that is the, the current relationship between owner and charter is very defensive. The charter party itself is about guaranteed speed and consumption. It's about defending yourself or defending yourself against claims or for the ability to make claims. It's not a collaborative relationship today, and that's what needs to be changed, particularly when you start looking at in the realm of digital where you need a lot more transparency. You need um, data to be shared from the vessel to the owner and to the charterer. So the charterer, who at the end of the day buys the fuel, I mean, cargo are fuel bills enormous. It's 2 to $2.5 billion a year of fuel. So if we can save a small percentage of that, that's huge. And obviously that has the benefit of, of, of also reducing greenhouse gases. Um, so yeah, we need that transparency so we can better get away from this defensive relation and make it more collaborative. So we can work with the owner to get the best performance we can from the ship. So that's um, looking at um, how the ship's performing, looking for underperformance, whether it's maybe proactive hull cleaning, proactive propeller cleaning, making better use of weather information to route the, the vessel in a way that takes, makes better use of ocean currents, for example, or making sure we're running the engine at its most optimum RPM. There's, there's so much that can be done, but we are not having those conversations with owners today. Very simple one, when a vessel goes into dry dock, we're never asked what we want a better quality paint or not. No one ever talks to us about that. It's ridiculous. It has a big impact on, on, our, on the way the vessel performs for us, and we want to be involved in those conversations. Mr. Matthews would like to compliment. Yes. Well, we just finished installing all these uh, nice devices that uh, George uh, just mentioned with a huge success so far. Um, I think that the testing phase um, is going to be in the next 10 days, so we will know exactly what it is. But I think that the overall efficiency on this first pilot ship that we've done may exceed 10% altogether. But on top of all that, we are actually helping an artificial intelligence company to develop, you know, they have already developed a platform, but they will actually improve their existing platform in the way that they monitor the ship altogether. And it's not, you know, the usual um, weather-related and route optimization, but it's also artificial intelligence, which means that they monitor certain components of the ship in a very, um, high-level way in order to be as proactive as possible, um, you know, in the repairs, maintenance, the fuel consumption, and at the end of the day, the carbon emissions in the environment. Thank you. Michael, a uh, million-dollar question. How far are banks willing to go to ensure decarbonization goals are met within the maritime space? Does it pertain only to vessels, new buildings, or retrofitting? What happens to older vessels uh, if they do not conform with uh, the standards? I, I think we'll <clears throat> go as far as it takes for two reasons. One is our regulators and our own shareholders will be requiring us to do so. But I think putting this in some sort of context, in, on the 23rd of September, the Getting to Zero Emissions Coalition was launched at the UN around a goal of getting an emissions-free vessel on the water by 2030, because that is the view that if you're going to meet the 2050 target, we need to see the new type of technology, maritime vessel, if you like, deployed in global trade. And we're not talking about a small automated vessel. We're talking about a Cape size or 
equivalent size in, the, <coughs> in some other trade container or whatever. So um, there is a need to, to get on and do that. And I think what has happened to date, and by the way, that particular initiative was highlighted by the UN Secretary General in his closing remarks. Uh, it's a great initiative by industry and the maritime sector around looking to reach the objective that he set, the UN has set through the climate change, not just Paris, but also, also the future. I think what now has to happen is a practical approach that everything, going back to Evan's point, this is about emissions, this is not about religion. And it's very important that the extremists on both sides, so the advocates of slow steaming, who all they want to do is to build more ships and create more emissions in the shipbuilding industry, that is not a solution. It may be part of reducing emissions in the short term, but it's not a solution. Equally, those, sorry, I'm expressing a personal view here, those who advocate no gas, I think are just being unrealistic. Gas is clearly a transition fuel mm. and will need to be alongside whatever new fuels are developed. So we need practical considerations. Now, the issue about where we draw the line, and I'm on the working group of the Climate Bond Initiative looking at this for trying to define real green in the bond market. And by the way, scrubbers, who would have invented a scrubber today in the light of everything we now know? Um, and, and I'll come back to that point maybe. So defining what is greed is important for investors being willing to invest. The advantage I referred to earlier of shipping being global and essentially the emissions being counted from when the ship is being delivered does avoid this issue of the shipyard. And I think George makes a very important point. It also came up in a number of conferences during London International Shipping Week, which is if the existing fleet can be extended in terms of its life with lower emissions. That has to be better overall than building new ships with old technology. And I think there needs to be much more focus around that. And I think in this getting to zero coalition work, that should be one of the features. So IE Cargo will actually insist on owners deploying some of the new technology in order to get the ship employed. The reason for that, the banks won't lend money against that ship unless it has that technology. So as I said earlier, we're not introducing, as the Poseidon principal signatories, new covenants <coughs> other than please give us the information we need to count the emissions. But it is quite possible that the pressure from the charterers or the cargo owners will start to force many different solutions that will, will end up lowering emissions. And I think this blurring of the edges between shipbuilding, which is part of national count in emissions and shipping which is separate and global I think will have to be have to be in effect blurred in order to make sure that the world fleet um, uh, is not scrapped earlier this is very important when we have looked hypothetically at implementing the Poseidon principles and it was not city it was another bank who will remain nameless who before signing it their management asked them to assess the emissions of their portfolio using roughly the information that we will expect to use in 2020. The issue for them and that bank's portfolio was nothing to do with age. It was to do with how the ship was operating. Mm. I think that's a very key yeah. point. So I, I'm sure, as, as Evan said, we, the reason we've stuck with emissions is because that's the IMO target. We may add other things to the Poseidon principles in due course, but I think we've got to think of all the ways you can reduce emissions. 
And I think to answer really the question you asked mm. at the beginning is, I think the banks will be very proactive in supporting initiatives such as Cargill has proposed in order to say we will finance those things that reduce emissions because it will help our portfolios be aligned to the IMO. So it isn't, whilst new technologies will be important, we know that will take a few years before they're really coming in. It's how do you start lowering emissions today and not just by slow steaming. Mm. And so all the ideas around that the banks ought to be supportive of. Good to hear. Evan, uh, changing a little bit uh, the application, we are talking about the ships itself, but uh, from a banking financial perspective, uh, do the Poseidon principles set out uh, any framework for lending to non-vessels projects such as research and development, new technologies apply to shipping, for example? I think any time a banker hears, you know, talk of new technologies, it's an immediate red flag situation. I, I think in overall new technology is something that gives you a, a pause. And I think broadly speaking, new technology is generally in the realm of equity uh, from a financing perspective rather than a, than a debt provider. Again, I, if you listen to, I think, what Michael has exposed on, which is the, the crux of what the Poseidon Principles is all about, is really a, a measurement and management creating a baseline for admissions over time. That has broader ramifications for the industry uh, just organically through being more conscious of uh, these very important issues for society around how we can decarbonize, how we can fight uh, global you know, uh, climate change. I mean, these are the real issues that we're trying to get at here. Um, from a DNB per perspective, if we are evaluating uh, a project or we're thinking about uh, providing capital to an owner, uh, you will get, I would say, a, a double gold star or, or you will get uh, lubrication throughout the, uh, the capital deployment process if there's evidence that that owner is taking these ESG issues uh, and really embracing them. Um, and Without naming names, I mean, I, there, there's a number of these public, you know, public and private leading companies out there that have really dug in and embraced uh, these broader ESG issues. And, and I think that the Poseidon principles are just conducive to the overall activation of society thinking about these, these matters. Um, you know, again, I, I would just say that in my opinion, the best run, the best managed companies out there are the ones that are going to embrace these type of corporate governance ESG issues. I think their, their, their securities are going to perform better. I think they're going to return greater um, capital to their owners. And I think this is all part of looking at that through, through that prism. Uh, but broadly speaking, I think uh, uh, new technology and research and development should generally be funded by equity, but uh, overall banks and senior debt providers should be supportive of this transition. Thank you. Mr. Matis, uh, as CEO of a shipping company, uh, what is your strategy and objectives in terms of achieving environmental compliance and specifically in terms of uh, decarbonization? Well, it basically comes in um, two ways. The first is very vigorous technical management and maintenance on the ships. A very well-maintained ship, uh, which is run and operating very efficiently on a day-to-day -day basis, consumes less fuel and emits less you know, carbon dioxide um, in the atmosphere, so that's number one priority for us. Number two is that we invest in 
various electronic equipment, like I mentioned before, that help us monitor the ship, not only in respect of the <coughs> sorry, actual performance, but also in respect of the follow-up and the, <coughs> um, the way that all the equipment on the ship is run up to the highest standard. So for us, it's extremely important to invest in technology. We are one of the first pioneering companies out there that installed broadband on board of our ships, not only to make our, um, you know, the lives of our crew members better, but also to get real-time reports at any given second from the ship on all the possible machinery and equipment. So for us, even though we don't really operate in a highly sophisticated ship, I mean, the Cape size is not like the most sophisticated ship out there, there are so many ways that you can improve the day-to-day -day operations and technical management that actually make a huge difference. Because if you have real-time information coming from the ship, if the ship is actually very well maintained, if you know the paint is great, if the, um, um, you know, the various equipment and machinery has been properly uh, run ahead of its cycle, that actually produces much better results. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Question to all of you, simple, uh, but not so simple answer. What do each of you see as the biggest challenges to achieving our decarbonization goals? George. That's uh, simple sounding and not, yeah, you're right, very difficult to answer. Um, if we're talking really getting to zero, um, I think the main issues today are one, we don't know which technology is going to win out. The required investment is huge. Um, it's not just a shipping issue, it's a whole supply chain problem. So it's not something we, as, as a shipping industry alone, can solve. We need to bring in a lot more a lot of other stakeholders, including um, oil majors, bunker suppliers, government agencies. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big, wider problem than that. Um, I think, obviously, the other big issue today is it's none of the proposed solutions are economically viable today. Um, the, the alternative of burning um, hydrocarbons is just too cheap. Um, there's, there's no cost for, for the polluting nature of of um, the fuel we use today. Um, so something there has to change. It's, it's slowly changing. There's pressures coming from consumers. Um, and so that's impacting other areas of maritime quicker than, say, the area I'm involved in in bulk. So in terms of crews, in terms of containers, I think that pressure's coming sooner. And, and you see the, the results of that already. You see IKEA, for example, helping container lines do quite serious trials on um, biofuels. Um, um, they, they can, those kind of more consumer-facing industries find it easier to um, pass on the cost, if you like, to, to, to the end consumer. Um, so I think we, we need a combination of carrots and sticks um, mm -hmm. to, to help us move forward. The kind of sticks, you're going to have pressure from society, you're going to need regulation of some sort. Ideally, it'd be better if that regulation came from within shipping. Um, so, for example, if there was a cost for pollution, if you want to call it that, that remained within shipping, got reinvested in shipping for the benefit of research, development, and deployment of these new technologies. Finances, obviously, they can be both a carrot and a stick, I guess. Um, and then, ultimately, sort of, it needs to be driven by the customers of, of um, who we sell freight to. Thank you. Michael, your views? It's uh, <coughs> a big question. And disagree with anything George has said. I think the, if you sit in Europe where we have had the last two weeks Extinction Rebellion trying to spray paint over our 
Majesty's Treasury and, and uh, Paralympi Paralympians gluing themselves to the top of aeroplanes at London City Airport, you sort of realize that this is at the forefront of society, particularly in Europe. I'm not saying it isn't here, but clearly the environment here is slightly different. And so I think governments will come under increasing pressure. So the Greta Thunberg generation will all have the vote within a few years, and they will exercise that vote. And so if you agree that climate change is the biggest challenge facing society as a whole, if you agree with that, then you're likely to see democratic consequences of that. So governments, I think, will have to respond. And one of the things that came out at a number of the UN meetings I attended was that industry is ready, and you hear it here, industry is ready to make the changes, but needs government to help support that. One of the things the Global Maritime Forum Summit is likely to talk about at the end of this month is, George referred to it without using the dreaded words, the carbon levy. Should shipping tax bunkers based on emissions, if that money can be used to speed up the technological change? My personal view is yes, actually, the industry needs that money to help stimulate the R&D to achieve that. But I was listening to the, 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 the panel on 2020. I mean, if Greta Thunberg knew what a scrubber was, do you imagine <coughs> any charterer would get away with using one? In my own personal opinion, when there is enough low sulfur fuel available, no scrubbers will get used because George, Shell, Total, whoever it is is chartering a ship will say, I don't want you to use your scrubber. So, again, as, as um, Kevin from Bethesda, I think, said, the, it's like Y2K. People will look back and they'll say, well, scrubbers was poor regulation on a weak industry. The industry response to this, which is what the Getting to Zero Coalition, as George said, is about everyone in the supply chain infrastructure saying, we can deliver. And this is a key thing for shipping versus aviation. The tech... The technical, technological solutions are available to shipping. It's not hypothesis, they're there, whether it is hydrogen, whether it is ammonia, whatever it is. It's a question of scaling and the whole infrastructure <coughs> that goes with that. But you, you can't sort of go from where we are today to that sort of perfect solution. There's got to be this transition. Transition bonds, I think, is something you hear a lot about in the green bond space in the next few years as actually the capital markets and banks help achieve that. So I think it starts from the premise, if, you, if 11 billion tons of ice melting in Greenland in one day in July doesn't make you sit up and think, then I think you should understand that a lot of people of a younger generation are going to make everyone think, and that is actually going to be what spurs us into action. And the great thing, as I said, for shipping is shipping can do this. If people, everyone involved with the maritime ecosystem makes it happen. I think aviation is a much more difficult challenge because I suspect it's easier for regulators to tell us all to fly less or to make it much more expensive in order to reduce emissions from that, that industry. So um, it is about collaboration and I think if everyone who has an interest pulls together, we will find the solution. Great insights. Thank you. Evan, in few words, uh, in your views, biggest challenges to achieve the goals? Uh, very briefly, uh, speed and capital. Uh, we're all making very good steps, moving in the right direction. I think there's been uh, an awakening around these issues. It just has to move faster to reach the goals 
that are necessary to cool the planet. Uh, so speed, and then the second is capital. Um, there's going to have to be a paradigm shift within the vessel technology and the total global uh, shipping fleet. Uh, that's going to need to be changed out, and, and that's going to require a huge amount of capital uh, to achieve that, and it's not going to come from uh, the banks. I, I think they can be facilitators, but it's going to have to be um, uh, certainly institutional, potentially governmental, but it's got to be uh, a massive quantum of capital delivered, so speed and capital. Thank you. Mr. Matthews. Well, like the panel said many times, I think the word is collaboration. Um, charters and owners at the same time need to sit down. We know what needs to be done. We have proven solutions. Uh, we've done it with cargo. So we can have immediate effects on the existing fleet. We're talking about of billions of tons of carbon dioxide that can be reduced on an annual basis immediately if people have the willingness to do that. So, you know, you have thousands of ships stopping to install scrubbers. Why don't you do the energy saving device at the same time? You know, you're actually increasing the carbon footprint uh, just by installing the scrubber itself. So, you know, you need to have the counterbalance of that and actually improve the efficiency. So, collaboration is, I think, the, the key word here. Thank you very much. And, uh, well, unfortunately, we started a little bit late and lunch cannot wait too long. Uh, very interesting topic. I'm very glad to see that uh, stakeholders are going in that direction and hopefully more will join soon. So thank, thank you all and uh, help me in giving a hand to the panel.